So, yeah, cool, thanks. Uh, yeah, if you want to just start over and give the five-minute uh, summary that you just did. Okay. I didn't I didn't realize this was going to be such good content for <laughs> most I, people who are interested, right? I don't know who's going to be interested. Well, but I don't know either. So uh, that, That's my issue with the whole podcast. <laughs> So, are, just out of curiosity, so are you doing a pre-recording just to kind of lay the foundation of who I am and you are, or am I just going to... I could, but you could just start from zero. Okay, so my name is Patrick Stevens, Patrick John Stevens, if you're Google searching, because I want to differentiate myself. It's my brand. <laughs> uh, I founded VoterSnap. Uh, you can go to VoterSnap.com to see a landing page. It's pretty fantastic. Not really, but it's uh, <laughs> during election season, if you're in the area, that actually goes to the app. Anyway, long story short, um, we were just chatting about um, voter snap and and wanting to wanted it to make a real difference. And and uh, Jay said he had some maybe some insights or at least wanted to. He said he could help me um, understand the, a few things about taking my closed source software and opening it to the world, and so we can really make a difference. So anyway, long story short, um, voter snap. Uh, the idea came around two or three years ago and really started to come together in the primaries, uh, primary elections of 2014, uh, which was kind of middle year 2014. And we developed a prototype using a mobile development software called Fluid UI. And uh, that was actually pretty cool because we were able to actually create a, a real usable product. We got amazing user feedback. They encouraged us to go ahead and, and build out for the general elections, and so we contracted with the. So is that iOS and Android or? Uh, Fluid UI is a, um, I would say it's a it's a web based application, but it, it replicates iOS, Android, Mo, um, Windows, all of them. Oh, mo- okay, mobile web. Yeah, okay. but it's fantastic. Um, Fluid UI, it's amazing. Um, they're based out of I think Ireland. Um, so I've talked to him once, and the fantastic accent is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't sound quite as leprechaunish as that, but uh, <laughs> anyway. Anyway, so we contracted with a local university here in Omaha, uh, and that went really well. Uh, we got connected with them so, through a, a friend uh, who used to work there. Uh, but uh, basically, it's a student-led um, organization within the university, uh, that you pay for, but it's just a really great deal. Yeah. And so they developed a, a mobile web application, not on iOS or Android. Um, looking back, we could have easily built it on like Parse or some other. Um, we could have used some other like what do they call it? Like a platform and pushed it out to those other uh, app services. Yeah. But um, based upon what we were looking to accomplish, it didn't make it. It wasn't a whole lot of didn't make a whole lot of sense. This was our first MVP product. Uh, in the general elections. And so uh, what we built was a ballot replicator. So we worked with uh, local election commissions, the counties, uh, Douglas County here in Nebraska, Lancaster County, which is Lincoln, and Sarpy County, which is also Omaha. And we got data sets of addresses, you know, basically a street file, a candidate file, and then a district file. And we basically had to clean and, and put all that data together so that when somebody put in their physical address, that we could replicate an exact same ballot that they're going to see on Election Day, yeah. which nobody else has been able to do except those local counties. Uh, didn't, right. yeah. so, like Sarpy, so, like, I live in Sarpy County, so I could go to Sarpy County and I could get a PDF of my 
of what was going to be on my ballot based on my address. Correct. Yeah. But instead of getting a PDF, we right. created a great user experience. An actual data. A, yeah, side-by-side -side candidate comparison tool. Right, and right. so outside of the ballot generation tool, it was a voting tool. So you could select your favorites so that when you went and voted, instead of having a piece of paper ballot, you actually had a like your list already saved within the website yeah. in your login. Or you could print that off and send it to an email so you could like vote really quickly and it'd be pretty snappy. Um, the third component is we uh, wanted to serve candidates and campaign managers. So we, uh, for free, allowed candidates to provide a picture a five-word pitch or five-word background limit in a 45-word pitch. Uh, so this basically is like an elevator pitch for the candidates, which we found that when users got a 15-second elevator pitch, you typically from those candidates that are, you know, a part of the ballot where there's like just a name and no party reference, that's when it was most valuable. Because people typically, if there's a party, they just kind of lean to the party. Right. Um, but if there was nothing, people would vote silly. Like, I voted for a guy named Patrick Bourne because yeah. my name's Patrick, and I like Bourne Identity. And it's rare that there's not a party affiliation, at least in Nebraska, right? So, But, I mean, nationally, I think it's pretty rare that there's not one. But, anyway, sorry, I don't mean to... No, 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 you're absolutely right. So, middle towards the lower part of the ballot, uh, there's just... People feel guilty and people feel lazy. Those are the two feelings that people feel the most when they get halfway down the ballot and they have no clue who they are. Right. And nobody's solving that problem quickly and easily. I mean, we all use Facebook, Instagram, all, everything has great user experience and everything's really quick. Yeah. Except when it comes to elections. And so everybody just avoids it, like the plague. And if there's no investment into the process, it gives, it makes it easier for people to skip out on elections. Cause they haven't really decided for anybody except maybe the top people. And then, so, we found that when people become somewhat informed, which is our mission, taken from uninformed to getting a taste or becoming the gateway drug of information towards elections, yeah. <laughs> they they actually are more likely to actually turn out to an election and because they're more invested, even if it's just a little bit. So anyway, long story short, we developed this. Uh, we learned a lot through the general elections. Didn't get as much traction as we would like. Uh, but one of the biggest challenges we were facing um, going forward is how do we scale this solution considering we have to work with every local government to get data sets uh, to replicate this. You can't get it at the state level. In order to get the the exact ballot, you have to go to this, the county level. And then the other big challenge is getting the candidates, judges, the issues, all, the, all that content onto the platform. And so that's another challenge. And, and, and to get it in a format that is at, that's valuable for the voter is, is challenging as well. And so... We were looking at, you know, how can we solve this problem? And uh, Open Nebraska, I was always talking about open source stuff, and and I was talking to one of the co-founders there, Nate, and uh, he reminded me, he's like, okay, what is your what is your main mission? Is it to make money with this app, or is it to solve a problem? And it was good that I, he asked me that question because it it brought me back to why I came up with this idea and why I wanted to solve this problem in the first place, and it's you know, really all over the world, whether it's India, whether it's Australia, whether it's here, the problem is the same. People know who the top few people are on the ballot when they go vote. But after those people, they really have no clue who they are. Right. At a minimum, they might have a party reference, and they just lean towards that. But they really don't have anything else to go on. 
because it's difficult to get that information and or it's laborsome or it takes a lot of time. And long story short, once again, people feel guilty or lazy. And so I was like, man, I really want to solve this really huge problem um, and nobody else is solving it. And one of the main reasons nobody's solving it is because the pain is very infrequent. It only happens once every four years or eight years, depending on how often people actually vote. And a lot of people don't even vote. And so you have a smaller part of the population experiencing this really crappy pain, but it just happens so frequently, they just it, not a lot of attention gets paid to it. So anyway, we saw this really big problem, and we saw, after the conversation with him, we really want to solve this problem. We saw that open source was the best way to do that. And so that's why talking to him, and I, I wanted to talk to some more experts on open source uh, so that not only we want to open this up, you know, uh, just the source code, you know, essentially free, uh, but also a white label option, you know, for people that don't have the coding experience so they can just take the administrative stuff and, and run with it. They just basically pay for hosting or whatever, kind of like WordPress. It's kind of my idea. And we really think that this tool can not only be used for government elections, but school board elections, um, prom king, prom queen, <laughs> like anything that requires a voting tool can use the voting tool. Anything that needs a ballot generation tool, you can upload the data for that. And anybody that needs uh, those pieces, those three things that we built, kind of integrated, that's already there. And so we saw this as a way to really change the world by making it open source. And uh, that's why I was here. I wanted I wanted your help. Yeah. So the... So the, the technical side of making something open source is, is pretty trivial. You just take your source code, you put it in GitHub, and now it's open, right? Okay. But I'm sure that's not what <laughs> that's not the the, uh, the the hard part that you're trying to solve. There, there's a lot of uh, I mean, Nick and I both work for open source friendly companies. Um, so what we do all day long, well, I'll just speak for myself. What what I do all day long is uh, work in a closed in closed source closed source environments using open source tools. And then when it becomes obvious that by modifying the open source project um, will be beneficial to that company, then we modify the open source to make it better for everybody, including the company that we're currently working with. Does that make sense? So I, I work for a consulting company, and that's kind of the model that I'm in all day long. Um, <clears throat> so there's a lot of open source abandonware where people just open source things and throw it out there and then it never gets touched again. Um, so, and I'm sure you don't want the project to be that, right? So um, I think what we need to maybe think about is, okay, well, what is the, the transition? What is the end goal that we're shooting for? And then which, which are the technical challenges involved with getting the source code to a point where it is open, right? Because if you just slap everything and get up today, Maybe there's some passwords and stuff that are in there that you don't want in there. Maybe there's some, I don't know, what might be in there that you don't want immediately. So maybe there's a cleansing process that has to happen to the source code before it can be open, right? I don't know. You'd have to tell me. Yeah, one of the questions that I, one of the fun, fundamental questions that I had is, you know, I had the university and these students build it, but I, I'm, I'm almost 100% sure it's not really built from an infrastructure standpoint that's designed for open source and designed to be scaled and, and added features onto it from just anybody. But once it's open, people could tell you their opinion on that. Oh. Right? And their people's opinions will vary, right? So a lot of it's going to revolve around what the tool sets. So most computer nerds are 
focused on specific tools. Like Nick's a JavaScript guy, and I spent all my time in Perl. What, what's yours? What's it written in? What's Coder's voter, um, now? HTML5, PHP. PHP, maybe? okay. I'm yeah. guessing. You're guessing? Okay. <laughs> so that's, that'll be a big chunk of who like, you immediately attract. Okay. Um, makes sense. It's just based on what language it's written in, if that makes sense. So, yeah. like, so PHP is fairly close to what I do, and I've done PHP in the past. So um, if I, and I am, because I'm a citizen of Nebraska, and I know that I know you, and I know that, so I personally, being into Open Nebraska and being into uh, election stuff, election issues, because I had my own side project I was doing. Um, I'm, I'm very motivated, and PHP is something I find, you know, very, the PHP is fine, I don't have a problem with, you know, but everybody, you know, everybody hates everything. Programmers all hate every language they don't work, use, right? <laughs> and JavaScript guys have a thousand languages, a thousand different frameworks, and they all hate the other 999 frameworks, right? So, right, Nick? That's right. All right, I got Nick on the podcast. Woo! Um, Thanks for your input. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, but I think it breaks down into literally just getting the source code out there where someone else can grab it, right? And then the the, the harder challenge, because nowadays open sourcing software is trivial, right? If you just want to, you know, throw it out to the universe. Um, the harder challenge, I think, is trying to uh, transition the people who are interested uh, so that you build a community around the source code or allow there to be a community or foster a community so that people who are interested in the problem set will come, will find your project. Just, be, you know, there's 5 million or 10 million or whatever it is repositories on GitHub, right? So just because you put it there doesn't mean anyone's going to know it's there. Yeah. Right? So it's almost like a marketing project to developers with this particular interest. Yep. There's search engine optimization problems. There's community building problems. There's networking problems. There's okay. So now you're trying to build a foster a community. Like so far, your community has been whatever students have been assigned by their teachers or whatever it is, whatever that structure was. That's been the community, and now you're opening the community to a global pool of developers. Right, which is really freaking exciting, considering I want this to be an international app. Right, you know, coming up in October, there's the Canadian parliamentary election. How freaking cool would it be to have VoterSnap be like the source code for that? Right, and to actually make a difference in the election. Like, ultimately, I would love to see people that are non-party party affiliated, but because so many voters got a chance to get their pitch and research this person, because even if they don't accept a lot of campaign money. They got enough voters to know who they were, and they freaking won an election because of a voting tool. Like, I just think that would be amazing. Yeah. yeah How yeah. did you say you get the data into it? Did you did the students have to, or did somebody have to go through and manually add that? Is that what you were saying earlier? Okay, so there's two parts. So the data sets are um, acquired uh, or, or requested. I would say acquired is the best word because you pay for some, you get some for free mm -hmm. from the local from the local uh, county election commissions. Mm -hmm. And then the content from the candidates is two ways. You, you know, we at VoterSnap or, you know, basically myself can upload, you know, type in that information and then send that preview and a password and login to the candidate so they can edit it, uh, upload a picture, or uh, basically just send a login and password to the candidate and they can upload that information. Um, right now, it's it's more of a manual-driven process. Um, 
and then let them give them the opportunity to actually edit it after it's already done. Sure. So, so that could be another aspect of contributing to it as well, is kind of taking that away from from you, not, not taking it away from you, but spreading it out. Yeah, so that was kind of, that was that was more, that was a, my hope, not necessarily for the development or developer community, right. but uh, the candidates, um, the candidates community. Gotcha. So the candidate, one of the, I literally, uh, not this election, but the last election, I was talking to a candidate. Middle of the way down the ballot type of candidate. Uh, he was a he was a Republican in a high Democratic area in here in Omaha. So he knew going into it, he had an uphill battle because like 60% of the people in his little district were Democrat. He put tons of money, tons of energy, tons of time into campaigning and to all this stuff and he still lost. So he was like almost crying over the phone because how much effort he put in. And then he got even more emotional when he went into how many forms, how many questionnaires he had to fill out because it took hours and hours. He said he spent like two full days filling out questionnaires from different nonprofits and organizations wanting to know information about him. All repetitive. It was just annoying and laborsome, whereas our project only takes five minutes. But here's the problem. When they're already at that negative emotional state, even a five-minute project makes them want to shoot you in the face. Well, and maybe one of the ways, so... <laughs> Hypothetically speaking. So the data collection stuff has always been delegated. The, the dream has always been that it's a delegated system where the candidates themselves enter the data, right? They, because they, they they see the value in it, yeah. Right, and you don't have to hire 5,000 people to enter all this data, right? Or get that's that many good. volunteers. Right, exactly, and that's so that's fantastic. So I think maybe one of the sales pitches needs to be for, like, moving, I don't know if this is about the open source thing, but... But the, that candidate, if you had been able to say to that candidate that, hey, you know those 50 people that you had to give them all that information, had you put your information into our system first, then those 50 people could have come to the system, come to VoterSnap instead of you having to do all of that, right? So, like, if you can feed whatever it is that they're doing, does this make any sense at all? So, VoterSnap being the feeder source to all the other nonprofits, so they don't have to go to the candidate... Yeah, like if they you, just go to the open source. If it's possible for the technology to, to to be the one point of entry for the candidate, right? Like, say I'm going to run for school board. If I can put all my data in VoterSnap, and then every time somebody asks me for stuff, I can just say, "Look, go to VoterSnap," because they already, you know, they'll give you that information. Then, if you get to me first, if VoterSnap gets to me first, the candidate, right? Then I've made my life easier. I, I don't know if this is practical or not. You'd have to tell me. <laughs> no, that's, like, that's an interesting concept because it, it is a really emotional point for not only cam- for our candidates, excuse me, but campaign managers. Yeah. Because somebody has to upload that information, you know, fill out all those questionnaires, send them back. They have to figure out which ones are best. But if they had just one source where there's like a million different questions and they decide which ones they want to fill out, and if questions are repeated, like they're just aggregated. Yeah. I mean, I assume that the that the campaign managers tell people all the time, it's on our website, go away, right? It's on our website, go away. It's on our website, go away. Don't they? I mean, I assume they get lots of that kind of traffic through their... Uh, they they say, I don't know what they do, honestly. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've talked to more candidates well, crying than campaign managers. Campaign managers really don't like talking to me that much about this problem. Well, if if they had one place that they could manage it, it would save them done. a lot of time. So right. and then and then you, so then you've got buy-in, right? So you you've got you've got to get buy-in from the voters, and you've got to get buy-in from the candidates in order to make the delegation model work, right? 
You, you probably more buy-in from the campaign managers than the candidates because they... If the ones that can afford a campaign manager. Right? You know what I found out is pretty much everybody above, like, the NRD elections have campaign managers. Really? How like the majority their data, their spreadsheets? Yeah, it's, yeah, relatively rudimentary, but it's, you know, they'll, they'll do it for cheap because they're taking, like, 15 or 20 little tiny... I don't know how they do it, but I've talked to campaign managers recently, and, like, the Lincoln election, like, over half of them have campaign managers, and they're all local elections for school board. Really? For um, city council, for airport authority. I'll be darned. I, I figured if I wanted to run for school council, I'm on my own. No. Like, you're saying a typical school council person has a candidate. Campaign manager. Yes. And I don't know how much work they do, but they say they have a campaign manager. How much money does it cost the candidates? You know know what's interesting is they actually raise more money than I thought they would. So there was a school board member in the last election that raised over $40,000 for school board. And I'm like, and I'm like, is this a paid position? No, it's not a paid position. See, this is why only rich people are are politicians. And I'm like, $40,000? Like, what are you spending that much money on? Yeah. And it's, you know, they spend a lot of money on marketing and it's, it's, and they said the campaign manager saying it's getting more expensive because it's really a two phase marketing thing. So the first marketing play is to all the people in that party before the, uh, before actual election day for early voting. Yeah. So they spend tons of money on marketing and getting people engaged on early voting. Democrats do it better than the Republicans based upon everything they say. And then, then there's the heavy marketing afterwards to get people in the polling booths and voting for their people too. So, so anyway. I think, well, so broad stroke, how do you open source it? I, I think the the trivial, the easy part is getting the source code where anyone could grab it. Right? That's pretty that, simple. Hopefully, yeah. Unless you've got a bunch of stuff in there that you can't. Right. If you have to cleanse it first, like the passwords and databases, and like hopefully there aren't. Hopefully there's not a lot of that. So I you don't think use a trusted so. source, whoever that is. To just scan through it quick through the PHP and make sure that there aren't. Yeah, I mean, there might be a few keys. things. I think we've built it on Amazon. Yeah, so like your Amazon keys, it's really important that those not get in open source because what will happen <laughs> is if you put those keys in GitHub, then everybody's got them. Yeah, thousands of uh, Bitcoin miners will get spun up on your Amazon S3 account, and you'll get a bill for $50,000 for Amazon S3 hosting. Oh, yuck. Before it gets shut down, yeah. So I don't... love Bitcoin. Yay, Bitcoin. <laughs> well, you won't, <laughs> not get, really. you won't get the Bitcoins. Crypt- <laughs> cryptocurrency, not the way you'll it get, was intended. You'll get the USD bill from Amazon <laughs> for the keys that leave. And, and I'm liable, liable for it, too, probably. Oh, yeah. yeah they'll, well, I don't know. So... Um, but, okay, so there's that part. So there's scrub the source, there's put the source somewhere, right? But that's only the beginning of the story, right? Because now the source is out there and anyone can grab it. But they won't if they don't know what it is and where it is and what the point is, right? And so now you get into things like building the community, which we already talked about. Hey, there's a mailing list where everyone can join it and everyone can, you know, whatever. There's Twitter, there's Facebook, there's IRC, you know, all these things about what a programmers, how do programmers want to communicate? And then there's a lot of like basic documentation that might not exist at all in your system because if yep. you know students didn't write any, then you don't have any, right? And so how do you build this thing from scratch? And if the the PHP is really close to like a PHP framework of some sort, then maybe that is not a huge deal. But if they like homespun invented a bunch of stuff, then it might be a big deal 
that there be intro-level documentation that explains to a developer why this doesn't look like my 5,000 other PHP websites, if that's true. you know. It's so it's basically what's the framework and then what's the language? Well, once yeah. you put the source code out there, anybody who's familiar with PHP and, or anyone else even, you know, can, can skim through, any programmer can skim through it and go, oh, okay, well, here's generally what ballpark we're in, right? But then the, the specific people, if it's PHP, the specific people that program PHP and are, are motivated, you know, might have questions about blah, 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 blah. And they, they can start those questions. But the problem is if they go in there and something is like really, really non-standard, and arguably PHP, I'm going to take a crack at PHP, ready? Arguably everything in PHP is non-standard. Oh, the Perl guy takes a crack at PHP. Um, <laughs> they, they might, uh, uh, they might, you know, just leave, right? They might be, oh God, this, this part here is so insanely ugly. I don't know what the hell they were thinking about and leave. You know what I mean? So, so I don't know. So is there any documentation in the system? Do you know? Good question. Okay. <laughs> so, so maybe someone. I, I, that's something I'll ask them. Um, they might have some internal documentation on that, right? Uh, because I, I bet they would, because they, the way that they frame the 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 work that they do is that they want to be have other you know students be able to jump in on it. Oh, that's they, fantastic. I, that's my best guess. Right, right. And if they wrote those docs, hey students, here's how you jump in and start helping us. I think that's how they did it. That would be my, I would figure that would be the best practice considering there's a lot of students working on projects and they come in and they help out. And so I would assume that's the case. Because then all you'd have to do is just reword it a bit. So instead of talking about servers that happen to be sitting at UNO, it says, oh, well, whatever server you're deploying to, you know, you know what I mean? So there might be a lot of specific information about University of Nebraska Omaha that no one else cares about. Yep. And that stuff could just all be stripped out. Yep. So, yeah, I, I don't know. You might, you might just start with putting it all in GitHub in a private repository and then have someone you trust kind scan look, through it. Okay. And make sure that your Amazon. Yes, because one of my concerns was, was that, do I need to have it rebuilt from scratch, you know, so that developers are more, uh, so that a larger number of developers, uh, would be interested in working on it. Well, I think every developer will have an opinion about that. And, you know. I think it'll kind of evolve. If, if the community gets behind it, things aren't written the right way, then it will just sort of naturally evolve to. Yeah, my hope different. would be that the developers, and, you know, like, I, I would hope that there would be, like, one or two or three developers within each community or each country, like, would, they would just have extreme buy-in with this and or... Maybe a developer that's at like Omaha World Herald or Fox News, and they're like, "Hey, we could just take this and just create our own app." Yeah, and they, you know, see what I mean? So like media, co- like Omaha World Herald has a lot of content, but they, their user experience and user interface to get that content to people is uh, generally really terrible. And on top of that, they don't have a ballot generator, which is one of the really valuable tools that people have. Is when they go, "Wow, exactly what's on my app on my phone." Or my computer is exactly what I'm seeing on my ballot. Yeah, and, w- and once it's open source, don't be at all surprised if bits and pieces of it are cannibalized into other open source projects, right? Because somebody might love the ballot generation portion of it, but only this side of it, and so they steal just this huge chunk of it, 
and put it in their thing and rebrand it, whatever. Or they rewrite it from scratch and say, hey, look, I think this is a better way to do it, and hopefully resubmit it back to the project, you know. So Yeah, I mean, ultimately I'd love to have, you know, have VoterSnap have, you know, the credit for it, but at the end of the day... So the- now, now we get into, like, licensing, and I... We've, we've got to run Nick to his other presentation, <laughs> so I'm sorry, we're running out of time. But the um, be, there are a thousand different software licenses, right? So open source is not one thing. There's a thousand different takes on what open source means, okay? And there's there's extreme differences in like an Apache license or an MIT license versus like a versus like a uh, the LGP. What is it? The GP GNU GPL. The GPL, LGPL, like the LGPL is the really aggressive one that says, so like one, one license might say, Hey, go do whatever you want. And you don't have to credit voter snap at all. Um, an extreme other end of that is, I think like the LGPL. Now I'm, I'm so, I don't know this stuff at all, but, but yes, but I'm not says things like, Hey, uh, if you use any chunk of this, yeah, here it is. It's all open source. But if you use any chunk of this, not only does that code, stay open source and free for everyone to download forever. But whatever you injected this stuff into, that whole project has to be open source and out. Otherwise, you're violating the terms of it. Now, lots of people, lots of developers don't like using LGPL stuff because they are working in a closed source environment and they want to contribute to open source and be happy with open source, but not everything can be open source in their environment, right? And so they shy sense. away from so there's a thousand different licenses. And if you are you familiar with GitHub at all? Well, I know what GitHub is in essence. Yeah. So if you go in there and you create a new repository, you just click the button and it'll say, hey, do you want to initialize this repository with one of these licenses? And there's a big drop down list of different licenses. And I'm so stupid when it comes to licensing that I just don't bother. My just <laughs> leave it unlicensed. Yeah, everything I do just doesn't have a license, which well, I'm sure legal. I guess I could start with that. Uh, well, you, or is it like set well, once you start it? No, you can change it whenever you want. But if you don't like, if you don't have a license on it and you put it out there, anyone can take the whole thing or whatever. So is it better to add every license and then just trim them off once you get expert advice? No, you can't. The licenses conflict with each other. <laughs> they all say different it. things, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you can, you can do a, just a Google search for licensing 101 and try to pick one like an Apache license or I don't know. Maybe, so, yeah, maybe Nate can give some advice or maybe you can give some advice. I don't know. Do you That's know anything it. about licensing? I, uh, the one we use for all of our foundation projects is a BSD license. Uh, which it basically I mean does I'm pretty sure I'm not a lawyer, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure that it means that you can you can take pieces of it and use it, and you don't have to make your whole app open source, which is kind of what we strive. Yeah, for. all these different licenses split all these hairs about whether or not you have to give credit, whether or not you have to keep all the same logos, the same font faces, whether the trademarks are transferable, whether the blah 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 blah. And once you put it out there. Anyone can take it at that point, right? So if you give it a really open license and you put it out there, even if you change the license later on, people can say, well, I grabbed it when it was unlicensed. Yeah. And they'll have evidence to that effect, right? So if you just don't care, great. And you just put it out there and you don't care and whatever. It's like I care a little bit. Right, exactly. Like the mission's more important, but I care a little bit. Like, it's like you create artwork. So Nate might know. And you just want kind of like a, I just want my signature to show up somewhere. 
Like really fine. Yeah, a lot of licenses say, "Hey, you just you can do whatever at you want some with this po- as long as you accredit me with everything so far. Everything so far, you have to leave me in the modification, the change log. I'm there. Everyone has to know forever and ever and ever that I did it up to this point. And after that, do whatever the hell you want. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's that's one version of one of these. There's a lot of reasons to do that. Kind of, some of some of it's a little pride. <laughs> exactly. There's a little pride yeah. in there. Cool. Well, I appreciate the help. Hopefully, this is yeah. valuable to somebody. Well, sorry, this is so short. But, uh, I think it was good that it was short because it forced us to go through it quicker. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, I'm turning off the mic. Thanks, Pat. Thanks, Nick. All right. Uh, this was episode, what, five or something <laughs> of Jay Flance's Ignorance. Woo! Congratulations. <laughs>